Hey friends, so good to be with you today for this two-part episode of Permission to Be. Our guest is Dr. Alicia Sharon Harper. I paused there because I was quickly trying to think of a superlative to describe her by, and um, truly, words escape me. Um, so... I will be brief with this introduction because, honestly, we don't need an additional one, but I just wanted to note that we'll be talking a lot about Dr. Harper's new book called Fortune, How Race Broke My Family and the World, and How to Repair It All. And the only thing that I wanted to say is... Um, this is one of those glimpses that we get. Uh, it, this conversation made me feel like I was a child again, sitting in my mother's living room, where she would just break off into story about our family history. Um, because Olivia has relationship and works with Dr. Harper, um, the conversation has that feel to it, and so. I'd like to invite you into this tradition, which is so, so special to my lineage of oral history telling. Um, as Dr. Lisa Sharon Harper unpacks her book and shares graciously and, and generously her wisdom. All right, see ya. I first heard you on a podcast. I don't remember whose it was, but you were on a panel. It was like, uh, and they were talking about evangelicalism and you were talking about, the, the, the gist of it was, I'm not ceding that ground. And and, and oh, so you were like, yeah. I'm not giving up that title just because of this. It was post the election of, of Trump. And so oh, you're, you're, the, the point wow. you were making was, I'm not giving up that. And then so you started going into the history of it. Mm -hmm. And I had never heard that history. So, oh, wow. I, I didn't know any of that. So I Googled and I was like, wow. It, first of all, it was, is she black? Because I couldn't tell just from listening. Oh, is it funny? Oh <laughs> Who is she? Um, well, later in the podcast, you, 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 you disclose that because you start talking about the, the African-American part. But at first I was yeah. like, is she, is she even black? And so, <laughs> um, and so I learned about the very good gospel. And then I found uh, a YouTube video of you speaking and talking about your great, great grandmother, Leah. I, I will never forget mm -hmm. that. My, and if they had showed up with her and told her about, you know, the force, you know, that whole thing, here's Where's your track and you, you can have Jesus when you die. And so um, how she would have <laughs> felt like, well, I'm a breeder and, you know, have been forced to have 17 kids. So what about now? And yeah, exactly. When we were going to, um, we went to Evolving Faith 2018. So when we were going to 2019 and we were debating and I was looking at the brochure and I was like, oh my God, <laughs> it's Lisa Sharon Harper. I mean, okay, so now I really want to go. And oh my so, God! You yeah. were just talking me up. Like, yeah. I, I like, we're not done. We're not yeah, done. Yeah, oh my gosh. I'm not going to be able to leave my office. My head is going to be way too big. So. Yeah, I, we were. I wanted to go anywhere, but I was like, Lisa Sharon Harper, and my husband 
had listened to all, we had gone on Apple Podcasts and done a search for your name and like found like 10 different, every time that we saw a Lisa Sharon Harper podcast where you were a guest on a podcast, we had listened to them. And so we got there um, and I sent him a text that said, we got separated at lunch on the second day. And I said, if I get to meet Lisa Sharon Harper, I will faint. And um, he was helping Jeff Chu with the communion that second day. (laughs) And he came and found you. Yes, and um, I remember so that. So then he sent me. Next thing I know, I'm eating. And my you stuff. freaked out. Yeah, he sent me a <laughs> selfie of the two of you, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> like, he said, my you manifested. You manifested Lisa Sharon Harper, and so I mean. I was on the other side of the University of Denver campus, running <laughs> frantic. <laughs> oh my God! I didn't even know all that. Oh my God! There was all this undergirding backstory why it even you know mattered to me, and so oh, that started wow. me following you. And then you know, um, so when you announced the Global Writers Group, I had been following yeah. you since Denver. But all of that led up to that. So literally. Um, I Amazing. prayed that I prayed that meeting into existence. <laughs> you must have, because that was kind of random. He literally just walked up to me and said, "Can I get a selfie with you?" And he said, "My wife is gonna flip." And then you were there flipping. I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is so funny." Well, I mean, honestly, though, Olivia, oh my gosh, like it's just been so great to to know you, and to know your writing, because you really are an incredibly great writer, and you can tell a story, and you paint a picture, and you also have a cadence to your writing that is, it's, it just drives you, it drives the reader, and and you just see these images flash, and you get it, like you just get it in your soul what you're talking about. So, so you know, it's been great, it's been great to meet you, and so I'm glad that your husband did the selfie <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah my husband does some um over the top things sometimes and sometimes they just have wonderfully miraculous um results <laughs> this was definitely, yeah. definitely and now you're a scribe she's a scribe y'all with the global writers group she's actually um uh in charge of one of our one of our weekdays where people come and just write in the writing room so I mean, I benefited from that selfie too. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to Permission to Be. Let's hit him with the remix. Oh, well, y'all got to change that. Yes. What are we doing? We leave our F-bombs in and... Let's tell some stories. As long as white people are bound, the people in power are bound, they're going to keep us bound to the same thing that they're bound to. Out of the the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I think out of the overflow of the spirit, the body does. Why why is that the best that God could offer you? Mike made it very clear that he did not want to get any of these questions beforehand. So he is getting this question live, raw, for the very first time. This is, um, and I feel like art is the expression of the heart where... Uh, words fail. Wow. Oh my goodness, I have tears. Oh, y'all are killing it. Unfiltered. I feel like that's gotta sound strange. Permission to be. Uh, actually, my 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 literary agent, when we were talking about what book might I write, he was like, I mean, A Black Man with Hope is an interesting book. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs>
Welcome to Permission to Be Friends. Uh, we have Dr. Lisa Sharon Harper with us this evening. And already, what a joy, what a absolute joy it is to be wow. in your presence and, and with us. Thank you. Um, well, thank you, Tommy. Thank you. <laughs> It so, really is. A, it's awesome to be with you guys. Yeah. Can we? Like, I, I just. I was. I actually wanted to continue that story um, that Olivia was telling because the same conference, same year that th- that selfie happened was the same year that I actually met Olivia in Hiawatha at the Evolving Conference. Uh, wow. faith conference right so yeah. i'm i'm sitting here just thinking about this synchronicity and i i i remember hearing you speak and i sat up in my chair and i was mm. like because i was wow. so enraptured at your storytelling and mm. and the mm. way in which you preach the gospel with such a freedom um mm. it it i'm going to use the term it, like elder but what i mean by that Mm -hmm. it those who have gone before us it was Mm -hmm. very much um like oh i need to learn from her i need to sit Mm -hmm. at her feet and just listen and so truly 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 um I text back and I was like, we have to interview her. But then we were like, but we can't pay her. And, and, and we oh, want to no. make sure, and we want to make sure that we're not abusing labor and working on. Our- <laughs> oh my gosh. Y'all are too woke. <laughs> Y'all are a little bit too woke. <laughs> I mean, I do. I'm down with all of that. Really. I am down with all of that, but you know, sometimes, sometimes you just do it because you love it. You know what I mean? Yeah, sometimes yeah. you just do it because you love it and you love the people. So. And and that's what we're learning as as we go you know and so through here we are and 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 we get to i'm I'm just i'm like this is surreal looking back on the last (laughs) two years in a pandemic and uh and so welcome welcome to the podcast becca do you have anything to say and shower (laughs) oh my goodness y'all don't need to shower anymore i feel squeaky clean i'm squeaky clean right now Well, I mean, you basically, this is the Permission to Be podcast, a.k.a. Dr. Lisa Sharon Harper's fan club. Um, you know, we are oh thrilled I that you're here. I found my fan club. Yes. yes. All three of you. It's so fabulous. It's so fabulous. Um, yeah, I mean, I know your work from Evolving Faith. And so mm-hmm. I, I'm honored to have you here to mm-hmm. listen um just to be in community and conversation you know one thing here with our podcast is we never want this just to be we're here just to answer the questions and check off our list and get it done we want it to create an environment of community to create um, an environment that begins relationships mm-hmm. um, and that nurtures relationships. Mm-hmm. And so all that to say, we are so excited that you could be here with us. Thank you. Well, I am really, truly excited to um, to enter into this relationship with you all. So Aww. yeah, um, let's talk. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's do you do want it. me to give the official, do you want me to give the official, you know, <laughs> introduction of who she is and yes let's get let's give a let who's for those for those who are just about to embrace the amazingness that is dr mm-hmm. lisa sharon harper oh um let's give a rundown of some of that awesomeness okay um, lisa sharon harper is a prolific speaker writer and activist 
She is the founder and president of Freedom Road, a consulting group dedicated to shrinking the narrative gap in our nation by designing forums and experiences that bring common understanding, commitment, and action. Lisa is the author of several books, which include Evangelical Does Not Equal Republican or Democrat, Left, Right, and Christ, Evangelical Faith and Politics, Forgive Us, Confessions of a Compromised Faith, and the book through which I was first introduced to her writing, The Very Good Gospel, How Everything Wrong Can Be Made Right. Lisa is also the curator of the Global Writers Group, which is the community through which I've interacted with her since April 2020. Global Writers is a group of writers whose skill ranges from amateur to professional that meet on Saturday mornings on Zoom to create and share our writing. Lisa has a new book being released on February the 8th, Fortune, How Race Broke My Family and the World and How to Repair It All. Because Mm -hmm. of my participation in the Global Writers Group, I've heard excerpts of the book as it was being written And because I pre-purchased it, I've had access to an electronic pre-release copy in which I have been completely engrossed the last four days. And I am happy to affirm that it is a must-read work of nonfiction writing. Welcome again. (laughs) So happy to have you. Thank you, guys. It's really, like I said before, it really is great to be with you, to get to know you, to be in conversation. And it's also kind of cool that, that, you know, we have this long trail of history with each other. And now, you know, you get to be um, one of the people, one of the groups that actually helps to interpret, you know, fortune to the world and help people to see what's in this thing for them. So I just want to, I want to just say thank you for, for asking me to come here. And I really am looking forward to this conversation. Uh, We have firmly rooted this conversation in deep, deep gratitude. Mm. Um, And I guess to get us started, uh, I was in, I was in a writer's group actually today. And so um, I did a episode on speaking of racism with a friend and They reminded me of something that I said about, I guess we were asking the question and talking about identity changes and existing in a capitalist system. We are always um, kind of identifying ourselves by these labels Um, in in an effort to give permission to change. Somehow the question came up of who are you today? Hmm. Um, And so... One, I would ask you that question, who are you today, mm-hmm. but also um, take some space and tell us who have you been? Hmm. Who I am today is a dog mom. <laughs> 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 and so my dog is actually here in the room with me. And so you might have heard the jingling in the background. I don't know. I have a really great microphone, so maybe you didn't. But if you do hear the jingling, that's what that is. That's my dog. Um, Welcome, and puppy. <laughs> yes, her name is Babe. Hello, Aww. Babe. She just looked up. She's so cute. Oh, my gosh. I just love her. And she's wearing this really great little, little hoodie, and it's got pockets. I just can't even get over it. I can't get over it. And earlier, 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 she had 
on a backpack that was her harness. I was like, no, like gone are the days when I grew up, when you had a dog, you just put in the backyard and fed every once in a while. Like, <laughs> literally, like that's literally how we, how we treated our dogs. Cause that was just the way you did. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. no, 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 this dog has a hoodie. You know what I mean? So anyway, I'm a dog mom. Um, I mean, I, yeah. I'm also a writer and an author and all the things that you said, you know, thank you for that really beautiful introduction, Olivia. Um, um, but I actually can't, I can't really describe who I am without talking about my family and those who came before me because they, I literally am them. Um, the DNA in my body is, comes from them. That just was one of the things that blew my mind in the course of my research, um, was just reflecting on the DNA results that have come back from several companies and ancestry.com, you know, DNA 23andMe and AfricanAncestry.com in particular. And I mean, realizing that the DNA in my 10 times great grandmother is in me like she is in me you know my my 10 13 14 15 times great grandfather is in me somewhere like he's like you know what i mean like part of my nose and i don't even know it you know what i mean or something like that <laughs> Love and it. right and that i mean that's just a really deep thought so i can't say who i am without saying who they were. And ironically, that's the whole point of the book, right? So, or that's one of the points of the book is we actually do take a, a, a journey, really a pilgrimage through my family's story going back 10 generations to 1682. So who I would say in short, I mean, you know, just to kind of like surf over these, the, these stories and we can dive in a little bit later, but I am fortune. You know, I, I come from fortune's stock, as they actually would say on the census when they would go by or the tax records, um, you know, for her descendants, they would say from, from fortune game stock um, so that because people knew fortune game for some interesting reason. Um, and and probably because she was actually ended up being a black woman who was free in Maryland in the in the 1700s and all of her stock were free eventually because their lineage traced back to a white woman. So Fortune's mother was Maudlin McGee. And this is, it all goes back to those first race laws. Um, I'll get back to that. But before we do that, I want to continue to surf a little bit. I am Henry and Harriet Lawrence, um, whose identities actually are incredibly fragmented because of government policies and the ways that government, um, our government policy, um, through the Native American removals um, and enslavement and the selling of people left, right, and center, and the raping of people and the the um, the the mulatto-ness of of my family on that on that line, they they really shape shifted in terms of their their identity, and you see that in that chapter. In fact, in chapter two what we do is we actually trace two separate possible Henry Lawrences. Um, and I say separate as in the stories I've done are separate. They actually intertwine at one point, but, and there's a possibility that both of them are the same person, but I just don't know how it all comes together. Right. Um, I am Leah. I am Leah who had 17 children and um, was enslaved in South Carolina and um, was likely a breeder. 
um, because she had those, she actually had five children before the end of the war for whom we have no record at all. Mm -hmm. And it's likely that those children died or were sold away or gifted to other family members and took taken deeper into the South. I am Leah. She's in me, literally in yeah, my yeah. DNA. Yeah. <laughs> just, mm. Like really think about that. Um, I am Willa who lived just a block away when she was called for by her mother, Lizzie, Leah's grandchild. Um, in the 1920s, she was called for because Lizzie came north and I'm Lizzie as well. Lizzie came north and she actually passed for white because she was Octoroon. She was just one eighth black. Mm. Um, but and she, and she could pass for white. And she brought her lightest child with her who could also pass. And she didn't say she was white. She just didn't say she wasn't, that she was black, right? Which if you see the movie Passing, that's, that's Lizzie's yeah. story. And eventually though, she was found out and she brought her, her darker children north. And that's when my grandmother came. My grandmother always looked like she was an Eskimo. I always literally thought, you know, she looks like she's, she's mixed with a lot of different stuff. Um, and, uh, uh, but she, but, but she could not pass for white. So that's why she was left on the plantation. She never forgave, um, her mother for that, for leaving her down there mm. to pick cotton and earn her keep in South Carolina while she went North. But then she was finally brought and I am my mother, Sharon Harper, um, Lawrence, who, uh, who grew up one block from here, went to school and looked over at a book, at a box of books one day as she was um, running an errand for a teacher because she was one of the top students in her entire class. Um, and so, you know, the top students don't need to study. So they, they end up running errands for the children throughout the day or for the, for the uh, teachers throughout the day. And so she was running an errand and saw a box of books that was hand-me-down books from the white school two blocks away, which her mother, Willa, wanted her to go to, but she was not able to because they told her it's out of district two blocks away and her mm. next door neighbor who was white went to that white school hello somebody mm -hmm. so this is the north this is philadelphia this is south philly right so that's how segregation happened here it was through the gatekeepers and it was de facto in many areas um and and i am my father and and the the weeks family which traces its lineage back through barbados to west africa likely nigeria and, you know, they, they landed, according to Ancestry.com DNA, they landed in Barbados around circa 1750. And the thing that blew my mind when I was researching um, slavery in, in Barbados and then also my family, like you can actually see the movement of that DNA line through Ancestry.com. It's like the science is amazing now. Within one generation, within 20 years, that line of the family, that DNA that originally was just in Barbados, within 20 years, it was in every island in the Lesser Antilles. Wow. In other words, they were sold into every island. Wow. Every island in the Lesser Antilles. And that basically means all the, all the islands except for Haiti, I think in Puerto Rico, you know, the two big ones. Um, those are the greater Antilles. So, so... What does that mean? That means that in that line, I am that line. And in that line, there's brokenness because of separation that goes back hundreds of years and, and, and a very little memory of actually having cohesive family for more than one generation. So people drop each other left, right, and center in that family. They just walk away and literally walk away. 
like just not come back. And that's mm-hmm. easy to happen in that line of the family. And I, and as I was tracing that Barbados story, I realized that's why, that's why. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the book Fortune, um, it, it really, it traces these lines of the family and asks, how did race, this construct called race, break the world? How did it do it? And what was the cost? What cost did we pay? Not just people of African descent, but Americans pay for this construct called race. What cost did white folk pay for being white, to be white? Y'all, white people, hello, um, Becca. <laughs> yes, 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 all the rest of the white people melanin in the room. Yes. Right, the only one who's like, no melanin in the room. That's okay, though, Becca. We love you, right? So, so, but, but Becca, you paid, a, your people paid a price in order to be called white in America. And that price was to be dislodged, just like we were dislodged. It happened to you too. Um, We were dislodged from our land. We were dislodged from our language, from our food, from our culture, from our families, from our name. We were dislodged from everything in order to become black. And only thing black meant was created to make white men money. That's basically what it meant. It meant created to make white men money. That's what it meant. Um, And so, you know, whatever we did, we were we were there to make you money and also to to provide free labor and low cost labor. Eventually, after the Civil War, it was low cost labor and free still if you're if you're in jail. But what did whiteness mean then? Whiteness doesn't exist without blackness. It literally was created at the same time mm-hmm. through the same judicial mm-hmm. um, rulings that, that were handed down throughout the early 1600s, like 1650s, basically, up through, this, up through about 1662. And then it was legislated into law in the colony of Virginia. What is whiteness for? Whiteness is to determine who has the divine right to rule mm-hmm. and capacity to rule on land, on colonized land. So wherever you go in the world, you will find people who are dubbed white. But whiteness means something different in different localities. But it always means, in other words, I should say, I should say blackness and whiteness take different shape, but they always mean the same thing. That's what I mean. Mm-hmm. Whiteness, where in Brazil, in Australia, in South in South Africa, um, and in South Carolina always means ones created to rule by divine right. Mm -hmm. For people who are deemed black around the world and in colonized spaces, that's what what it means is that they were created to be ruled, um, to provide free and low-cost class labor for those who rule. So 
basically the the book itself is asking the question, all right, so there's this construct and this is how it happened and this is how it impacted one family. Now let's imagine how it impacted the nation. And now let's ask, how do we fix it? So the last three chapters are essays on how to repair what race broke in the world. And there are three major points that we we really dive into there, truth-telling, reparation, and forgiveness, the need to forgive that which can never be repaired. Mm. Oh, mm. so, 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 so much death. Um, in so many places that we could go, one of the things that I was noticing, your words that you pick, um, are very intentional. And as I was reading through chapter one and the story about your grandmother as you would comb her hair and sort of the tense interaction that that you had um, mm-hmm. when you asked her about her hair because it was straight. It wasn't, you know, like us black folk coarse and uh, as, as some would say, nappy. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was bone straight. Right. It really was, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But you talk about this concept of remembering. Yeah. Um, but talk about how your mother was dismembering. Um, would you like to linger there for a little bit and maybe talk about what you mean and how it relates to the injury um, that that racism has crafted, the construct of race has crafted uh, in, uh, with that remembering and dismembering? Well, I don't think my mother was dismembering. I think my mother was dismembered. Mm. And I think my great, my grandmother, my great grandmother, going all the way back to fortune in 1687, when she was born, um, she was the the first of our lot to be dismembered. Um, and what I mean by that, actually, she wasn't. Sambo was the first of our lot to be dismembered that we know of, right, that we've been able to trace. Sambo was fortune's father. He was dismembered from his from his um tribe from his his people we know now that sambo was from most likely from senegal and and most most likely from the eastern southeastern area of Senegal where Mali and Senegal and Guinea meet. Um, Because of course they didn't have national boundaries at that time. It was just people groups in space. And so his people, um, Sambo is a wolf name. And, um, and so that's part of the reason why we know, and it means second son. See, there's, there was meaning, there was life, there was relationships that he had. He had, he had dreams. He, he had a crush, I'm sure, right? He, he had family and grandmother and, and he had history thousands and thousands of years on that land of history. And he was dismembered when somehow he ended up in the bowels of a slave ship, one of the first, among the first, because the first slave ships that began to come to America um, directly to the North American continent, not stopping in the Caribbean, were in 1670. Those were the first um, slave ships, or I shouldn't say the first, they were the first major wave. There were like one every several years, maybe before that. And they would have like a small 
you know, small boat or most and most of the enslaved people were coming f- directly from the Caribbean, but directly from Africa, that was 1670. So he's in this first wave of folks who are coming directly from Africa and, and being brought to the shores of Maryland, to this place he doesn't know the language. He's never been here before. He's hoping, I'm sure, as he looks over the Atlantic Ocean on that boat, on that ship, the death ship, um, where um, about 100 people died on that ship um, between the time when it left port on the Gambia River and reached the port in Maryland. And I'm sure that he was, he was wondering if he would ever see them again, and he didn't. That's being dismembered. It's being disconnected from from your roots, from mm. what gives you life, from what gives meaning to life, um, yeah. from who you are. And so one of the things that struck me the most as I was writing the introduction, actually, and I was thinking about this, is that our generation, Gen X, is the first generation to be born on the other side of the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. So just like there are, there's a generation called the born free generation in, in South Africa, post-apartheid, they were born in post-apartheid. Well, the Gen Xers in America, black Gen Xers are the first generation in American history to be born on the other side of the Civil Rights Act and the Voting Rights Act. So my mother, my grandmother, my great grandmother, they were simply trying to survive. Like they were trying to survive the the heinous um, political policies that were coming down and trying to to corner them into small spaces in the world. Um, for example, just after the fall of Reconstruction, the end of Reconstruction in South Carolina, a law was passed that prohibited people of African descent, anybody from working in any profession except the fields and domestic work. Mm. Okay, I my see God, you now shaking your head, right? Like, my God, <laughs> my God. They had, now lo- listen here, in this, what, um, it was 16, 16, sorry, 1865, the end of the Civil War, to 1877, so that's 12 good years, right? So 12 good years during Reconstruction. And really, Reconstruction really begins, like, in earnest in around 1667, because that's when the Civil Rights Act of 1666 was passed, and, you know, and, and it went into force in 1667, or sorry, I keep saying 16, I mean 1867. Um and so you had about good, really 10 years, 10 years of reconstruction in that time across the country, mostly in the South. You have more than 2000 people of African descent that are elected into public offices all over the country. In South Carolina, we had senators, we had house representatives, we had mm. um, we had every we had mayors, we had every level of government. We had people leading, and then at the end of Reconstruction, it was like whiplash. It was it was terror, and mm. and by within twenty years, almost all of the people of African descent were actually. Um, ejected, um, pushed out of office through gerrymandering mm. and also through terror and intimidation mm. um, and, and even death. Mm. 
so that's the context within which my great, great grandmother, um, uh, Martha was born in 1865 and, and she rose up and like into her, into her preteen years at the end of reconstruction, right? She's literally 12 years old at the end of reconstruction. And she has to witness this terror. And mm. her daughter, Lizzie is born right around that time. Um, like maybe like 10 years into the end of reconstruction when, you have race riots happening all over South Carolina. You have people dying, I mean, literally 10 scores of people dying at a time because what is happening there is black folk are being put back in their place. So that's why they, they, they passed that law that said you can only work in the fields or in the home. Why? Because that's exactly where you worked under slavery and we are going back. Mm. We're it's- going back. That was the goal. And let me tell you, friends. It's still the goal. Oh, Charlotte's Woo! doing it right now with gerrymandering voting lines right now. It is still the goal. Yeah. It's I love still the, the goal. I love the word dismembered. Um the 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 mm-hmm. nurse in me uh mm. um think goes to the medical kind of that dismembering and, and the pain um mm. and the violence that would be associated yes. if that happened um in a way in which we typically think via a car accident some form of trauma and Mm -hmm. what we are now having language for from people like dr joy degru um and many others who have done this research is Mm -hmm. that this was a massive mental and psychological trauma. Yes. And then yes. connecting that back to our DNA and mm-hmm. how you are all, we all of us are, are all of the people who have come before yeah. us. Mm-hmm. I just really feel the depths of, of, and the gravity of that. Yeah, we, we are. And so therefore we actually carry the trauma we often carry the trauma of our of our ancestors, our family members, um, and we have a choice to continue to carry it, or we can let it go because that was theirs to carry, and we can let it go, and we can carry our own trauma for today. That's the the goal of Resma Menachem's book, My Grandmother's Hands. Right? He says we have to get to clean pain, and the 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 issue among us people of African descent is that we have never really had our moment of healing. Mm. We've never had our moment. We've never been able to have our moment of healing because we've never had reparation. Say that. We've never had truth telling. So every time, every single time the truth is not told, every single time the truth is twisted, covered over, crushed, hidden, um, obliterated, that is trauma that's added to our DNA and our descendants DNA Mm. every single time. So we carry it all. And we've, we've been here 400 years, so we got a lot of freaking trauma, yeah. right? So, so what does it take? It really, it's going to take, it's going to take the truth telling. It's mm-hmm. going to take repairing what race broke through reparation. Yes. Do you realize people of African descent in America, African Americans are the only group in America, American history that have never received any reparations for the federal uh, oppression that we experienced, federally enforced oppression we experienced mm. through the slaveocracy. You know, when I realized that, uh, when I read that in your book this week, yes. Um, yes. so many mm. 
things just had my eyes. Boom. I, I, I was talking mm-hmm. to a, um, a, my book group and I was just saying, I don't know how many times I have to say, we have read um, so many books. So you, you referenced um, my grandmother's hands. We spent yeah. six months last year six months in my grandmother's Mm. hands. We read it one, we only did one chapter a week. We did a deep dive. um, And then we had, um, that's right. One chapter a week. And that thing has a million chapters. (laughs) (laughs) It it, it really does. It's like, wow. I mean, they're short, so it makes it a lot easier. You got to give yourself a minute though. (laughs) Yeah, you really do. I love that. We have never spent, we have never spent that amount of time. And then at the end, um, Resma came and talked to us. um, What? Okay. So now you're going to have to give me the contact info. (laughs) But it's just the realization of the depth Mm -hmm. and the width and the breadth of it. And Mm -hmm. that it it was explored there in a way I'd never heard it addressed before. And I'd never Mm -hmm. really thought about so many of the things that we just, you know, there's a, a, um, there are so many things that we just assume are family heritage or just the way we are. When it's mm-hmm. really embedded trauma. Exactly. It's really exactly. embedded trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the way I love the way he, he talks about that clean pain thing because um, Mindy fully loves, she, um, Dr. Fully loves, she talks about our compounded trauma. It's basically trauma upon trauma upon trauma and never having a moment. It's in her book, Aftershock. Um, you never have a moment to uh, to breathe because you have one trauma happening and then another one, right? And then another one and then another one. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us got a taste of that, quite honestly, under the last administration because it yeah. felt like every news cycle wasn't just one cycle, it was five cycles and every single point of it was a, was another trauma. So I think we were all exhausted at the end of it. Oh, just, just you know, I just need a break, right? Um, we yeah, haven't well, recovered. <laughs> we haven't recovered. We have not recovered. And now imagine, you know, magnifying four years by 500. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's the experience of African Americans in America. And, you know, and so in, in the way that I love the way she talks about it is that she's not just talking about, you know, the individual trauma that we experience, but the trauma that happens in our community of to our communities, right? The, the urban quote renewal that she mm-hmm. talks about, which really means removal, urban mm-hmm. removal of mm-hmm. people of color and people of African descent from communities so that they can put in a Starbucks and have dogs like mine walking around with a hoodie, right? Like that's, <laughs> that's, <laughs> I swear to you, my dog has a hoodie, right? So, so, and, and I'm, I mean, I'm, I did that. I mean, I'm doing that honestly, because, because, <laughs> because she's a small dog and she gets cold in the winter and all that. And I have the means to do that. Um, but that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about gentrification, Right. I'm yes. talking about the, the taking of land again, again, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. through eminent domain, like eminent domain is trauma. Um, mm-hmm. Eminent domain was was we believe the death of my of my great grandfather, Hiram Lawrence, who owned a block of homes in Elmwood, Philadelphia, this community called Elmwood that used to be located over where the airport is now and under the I-95, right? So they made him sell his house to the city for pennies on the dollar. Mm. And and he died later that year. He never even moved into the new house. The new house, um, which was now, it was two blocks from where I'm sitting right now. Um, only his wife moved in there, Ella Fortune, a direct descendant of Fortune, um, Fortune Game McGee. 
And so she lived about two blocks away and um, that was the house, the one house that he could buy after they, they forced him to sell a block of homes for pennies. Hmm. Wow. Wow. So what did that do? That took away, that took away our birthright. That took away, um, that took away the funding that would have paid for my college education and my sister's college educations. Instead, we scraped and prayed um, our way through school every single year. And we did it. We were able to do it. So many more are not able to do it. Hmm. Again, I'm just resonating so much um, because I'm moving back to my childhood neighborhood. We just moved back this week. My mom mm-hmm. literally lives next door. Um, wow. And so there's, there's, and I, I was talking to a friend today and I said, uh, you know, they were checking in and I was like, I just feel stretched right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we're in a new year. Um, I'm moving. There's the weather in the South is, is up and down right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the tension that comes with moving, but then also this this kind of latent trauma is starting to resurface. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Um, oh, I know what you mean. <laughs> I really do. I know exactly yes. what you mean. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because I never experienced it before, right? I've lived in New York, LA, DC, and Philly. I grew up in Philly, left Philly at 10 years old and really been outside of Philly ever since. Um but I found, I found myself dealing, like experiencing the, the grief, like really the grief mm-hmm. that my family went through in mm-hmm. the 70s and the 80s, 90s, um, when this community went and like, became a war zone because of infiltration of crack and cocaine heroin in this community, mostly heroin and, and crack. Mm-hmm. And both of those drugs killed my family. Heroin Decimated. killed my uncle, literally killed my uncle. He died of a heroin overdose. Um, and mind you, it's documented that those drugs were pumped in by the government yes. oh, yeah. um, through oh, yeah. the mafia and also through the police and through um, small time drug dealers. Um and it was it was in order to justify coming in and literally breaking up um, black communities uh, because Nixon wanted to break up the vote that could challenge him. Mm. Mm. Literally, and that, that is was, happening today. That was today. the confession of his legislative yep. director, yeah, right, Ehrlichman in 1990s. Yes, and the same thing is happening. Like I don't, I can't say the same thing in terms of the pumping of drugs into communities for that reason. I don't know. Right, but what right, I right. do, what I do know, is that the the machinations of um, of of people with power right now that they're going through in order to keep power is obvious to all. We can all see it now. Yep. They're not doing anything in a hidden way. It's all right out there and explicit like people are yes. being explicit it's deeply about brazen. It now. yeah yeah so um but you know what gives me hope y'all what gives me hope is the reality that at every juncture in history every single one we made choices that got us into this place 
we this didn't just happen. It just didn't go poof. Okay, we're in this this space where 1.5 million Black men are missing because of mass incarceration and death on the streets. Um, sometimes death by police, and other times death by each other. That didn't just happen. It happened because of choices that we made about how we should live together. It, it happened because of the choice for um, urban removal, mm-hmm. right? It made yeah. the, it was because of the choice of neglect of communities, the choice to limit um, the capacity of people to flourish, either through you know dis- devaluing their home value, the land value of their homes, or through um, forcing them in the north and south to go and and learn in segregated schools, even after the Board of Education versus Brown, like Brown versus Board, mm-hmm. um, and so these were choices that were made both local state and federal and that is why i have hope because if they were choices that means they're man-made this world we have right now these constructs the the situation we have right now is a man-made situation which means we can unmake it yes amen 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 We'll be back with part two of our conversation with Dr. Lisa Sharon Harper. See you real soon.